Hello and welcome everyone to Greetings from Brussels, episode 22 of our Global Tech Swan podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Taylor, and I'm joined by our co-host, Anna, Senior Policy Associate for our EU team. Hi, Anna. Hello. And a warm welcome to our guest co-host, Stephen Tulip, our UK Membership and Engagement Manager. Hey, Stephen. Hi, everyone. In today's episode, we are talking about online privacy. We'll discuss how app developers who care about the user's privacy can really continue to develop the best apps possible while retaining users' trust in the ecosystem. And every day, app developers around the world create new products and services that really help us communicate with our friends, um, our family and colleagues, improve um, access to education and monitor our health or finances. But not every app prioritizes users' privacy in the same way. And the very same devices that can drive our day-to-day um, can also be used to trace and track online activity, like what we buy online and payment inform- information to do so, um, where we are, um, where we are going, and when we are traveling about GPS, which website we visit, and the list goes on and on. And without realizing it, many of us have likely sacrificed one of our most fundamental rights, the right to privacy. And it has become more and more difficult to know exactly who can access your information and what they do with it. So to talk about this, we have with us today um, Daniel Yilk, co-founder and um, our member com- from our member company, Telemetry Deck, a privacy-focused data analytics platform for app developers. But first, a bit of tech history and the top tech headlines from Europe and the UK. On May 12, 1941, Konrad Zuser, a German engineer and computer pioneer, completed its Z-Free computer, the first fully functioning program control electromechanical digital computer. It followed um, it followed the footsteps uh, of the Z1, the world's first binary digital computer, which Zuser had developed in 1938. And despite certain mechanical engineering problems, it had already all the basic ingredients of a modern machine. Using a binary system, today's um, standard separation of storage and control, a keyboard for data input and flashing lights to indicate results. Much of Zeus's work was destroyed uh, in World War II, although the Z4, the most sophisticated of his creations, survived. Zeus went on building computers until his death in 1995. A, if you want to see it, a restored version of the non-functional Z1 is on display in the German Museum of Technology in Berlin, along with 11 other models of Zeus's computers. And that's all for Tech History Today. And now it's time for Brussels Bytes. Anna and Steven, what are the latest top tech headlines from inside the Brussels bubble in Europe and in the UK? On May 3rd, the European Commission presented its proposal to create a European health data space, the EHDS. This regulation, if passed, could be a game changer for the digital transformation of healthcare in the EU and for all the app developers working in this field. The new law aims to create a genuine single market for digital health services and research by allowing patients to obtain their medical data, such as prescriptions, lab results, vaccine information, Um, and others online and all in a Europe-wide single data format by 2025. 
This data would be accessible to all types of healthcare professionals and patients, as well as regulators and researchers in all 27 member states. Following COVID-19, the EHDS also aims to increase the potential of EU research collaboration and improve health outcomes with a new legal framework for the use of health data for research, innovation, public health, policymaking, and regulatory purposes. The European Parliament and the Member States will now review the proposal and the Commission will likely need to answer many questions about the draft in the coming months. In particular, we expect data privacy safeguards and ensuring the equal digital capacity of national health services across the EU to be topics of discussion. You can find more on this proposal in the show notes. Across the English Channel, the UK government recently laid out its plans to address big tech's market power. On the 5th of May, the Department for Culture, Media and Sports, or DCMS for short, issued its response to the public consultation on a new pro-competition regime for digital markets that it conducted last year. In its response, DCMS indicates it wants to give more powers to the new Digital Markets Unit, or the DMU, that it established in 2021 within the Competition and Markets Authority, or CMA, to clamp down on the predatory practices of larger tech firms. The DMU will also be able to impose fines of up to 10% on major tech firms' global revenue if they breach the rules designed to protect consumers and businesses. In addition, DCMS wants app developers to get fair returns for accessing online stores, ensure smartphone users can choose which search engines and messaging apps they use, restrict the pre-installation of software on devices, and allow users to opt out of targeted advertising online. Larger digital companies would also have to share some of their data with smaller firms. However, it's unclear when exactly these changes will come into force, as the government has only said the necessary legislation will be introduced in due course. We will, of course, monitor these developments for you, so stay tuned for updates. And now, all the way across the Atlantic, the European Union is planning to open an office in San Francisco to focus on digital policies and technology and to engage with U.S. tech firms. The Silicon Valley tech giants will soon face tougher restrictions and fall under greater scrutiny by European regulators following the adoption of the Digital Services Act and the Digital Markets Act. Gerard de Graaf, an experienced EU official, will lead the office, but it remains under the supervision of the EU delegation based in Washington, D.C. Several members of the European Parliament are also planning a trip to San Francisco to visit top executives at Meta, Apple, Google, and Airbnb. And of course, as the EU and US are enhancing their collaboration on digital policy matters and ameliorating differences in the fast-growing area of the transatlantic economy, we'll make sure to keep you informed on the new developments. In other news related to big tech regulation, DCMS just opened a call for views on app security and privacy interventions, which will run for eight weeks until the 29th of June 2022. App developers, app store operators and security and privacy experts are encouraged to provide feedback to inform the UK government's work in this area. Following the call for views, the DCMS will review the feedback provided and will publish a response later this year. This work complements the government's upcoming digital markets pro-competition regime, just mentioned in the previous news item. Of course, we at the App Association will respond to this important consultation on behalf of our members to provide our views on how to preserve a safe, trusted and growing app ecosystem. We'd love to receive feedback from our members, so for those listening, don't hesitate to reach out to us. All the information will be in the show notes of this episode. And that's all for Brussels Bites.
And for today's policy discussion, we'll dive into a topic that we care a lot um, about here at the App Association, and that is online privacy. But most importantly, we'll talk about what solutions are available out there to app developers who care about the privacy of their users. And what better opportunity to discuss this with Diane Yick, co-founder um, Telemetry Deck, a privacy-focused data analytics tool for app developers created in Germany, together with Lisa Figas. Hi, Danielle. Welcome to the pod. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great having you here. So to come back to privacy, um, broadly speaking, privacy is the fundamental right to respect for private, private life, um, the home, the correspondence, and the right against undue government intrusion to fundamental personal issues and decisions. And as we know, that applies to all type of scenarios and events, including the digital world. But today we can really ask ourselves the question whether our private life is really private online. And especially with everyday app developers around the world are creating new apps to really help us monitor our health, learn new things, communicate with our colleagues, family, uh, even manage our uh, connected devices at home. Um, this is actually uh, becoming more and more important. So. A large part of our lives has completely shifted online and um, so has our personal data and we may have relinquished some of our privacy uh, in exchange of those online services. But Danielle, we know that data is uh, an important resource for developers to keep really improving their quality, the quality of their apps over time. But this can become really an issue when data collection uh, starts becoming intrusive um, and tracks really our every single action online and that's where you come in you've built uh you've built apps since um the launch of the apple app store in 2008 you mm -hmm. have more than 13 years if i'm not mistaken um of experience building really server-based uh, applications uh, you understand the app ecosystem uh more than anyone so telemetry deck a data analytics service with um, user privacy really as one of the guiding principles of this project. So maybe just a first question to go back to basics. Uh, what is data analytics and why is it so important for any developers out there? Right, so um, you basically, as a developer of apps, you need basically two types of, or you, you collect data for two types of reasons, basically. The first one is advertising. You want to advertise your application to the right customers, right? And I, I want to talk about this a bit more later, but I feel like lots of the evils of like too much data collection comes from advertising. But the second part for what you need data for is analytics, which is I want to know what kinds of people are using my app so I can use, so I can make my app better, right? Um, I want to see, for example, that 70% of my users are using an iPhone and they're using, um, I don't know, an iPhone OS 15 or something like that. Because with that knowledge, I can optimize my iPhone experience in my app or maybe I can use the newest operating system features that um, I didn't dare use before because I didn't know how many people have updated to the new operating systems. So... Um, 
that kind of that kind of information is super important to me as an app developer. Uh, other things are like what screen sizes are people using? You know, like what um, version of the app are they are people using? Are they updating, or should I maybe encourage them to update? And these kind of things, um, they're really important to know for us app developers because we want to improve our apps. We want to see. Um, can we make this experience better for our users? Um, because A, we want to make people happy that use our apps, but of course B, we also want to uh, have an income. And if people are gladly using our apps, then they are more eager to pay for our services as well. So that, that's interesting. So we know that this is absolutely crucial for developers to be able also to monetize their apps. So, but you talked about also ads. Um, so going back to the topic of the day of, uh, of privacy, what are the kind of the biggest challenge that we encounter um, in the app economy when it comes to data analytics, in particular to, uh, to, to privacy? Where's the limit between uh, the need for data and going a step too far? Right. Um, so. I'm mostly thinking about analytics data, and I can tell you, because we're doing that, uh, is that we can 100% anonymize analytics data, because I don't care what your name is, what your gender is, what your location is. I just want to know, like, which version of the app are you using and which, um, I don't know, features you have enabled. And so that gives me, for analytics data, that gives me, like, percentages. This gives me like 17% of all the users have this feature enabled. So there's no private data here. Um, but for advertising, uh, there's like advertisers uh, mostly buy private or private data from data brokers. Data brokers are individuals or organizations that try to collect as much data as possible for, from individuals. They want to know who you are, what your name is, where you work, what your interests are, what your secret interests are, uh, what you're shopping for, what you like on YouTube, what you favorite on Twitter, what you love on Instagram, you know, these kinds of things. And they want to know these things because they want to send you advertisements. And the more targeted than ad an advertisement is, the the more effect it can have. And also, if I can really target my advertisements, then uh, I don't have to show them to so many people. I just have to select exactly like, for, for example, in my case, it would be like, let's target advertisements to people with glasses, who live in Germany, who are app developers, and who like cats. Um, and so I can, I don't know, marketing market my solution for cleaning glasses from cat hair or whatever. Um, the problem is this this greediness for data this is creates these huge data sets that are incredibly radioactive in regards to privacy because like no one really wants these people to collect that much data right especially if you if you have these different data sets if you connect those it is it is really really creepy and Especially like, you know, like every website you go to, you have to consent to, to the cookies and everything these days. Like every time you consent, like you add another data point to the, <laughs> to the data broker's data, basically. Um, and so they're tracking you from Facebook to Google to Twitter to an app. And the app maybe even gives them the location of um, your location or whatever. Um, 
And so the challenge here is that we want, um, as as people, as Europeans, as um, as just regular users of the internet, we want that not to happen, right? We think that advertisements or agencies they don't really they shouldn't be able to collect that much data and the the european privacy laws and privacy laws of other countries such as canada um, california has a good privacy law india um, they're designed to try and prevent organizations to, uh, from collecting so much data about you that you don't want them to, to collect right um I mean, it's working more or less. I, I think it could be better, but that's the main challenge. That um, the privacy laws that we have, they are more or less working, but uh, they're consent-based. So if I can trick people into giving giving me their consent, I can uh, I can collect a huge amount of data from people and use that against them, kinda. And that is very unethical. And that is very, very creepy and weird. And people really don't want that. Um, and the, the, ch the challenge really is that this is a category of data that app developers don't need. Maybe if they want to run ads for their service or something. But even then, like, they don't need that amount of data. Um, App developers, on the other hand, they need data that is anonymized and that is like usage-based and that is only relevant to their ad, uh, to their app. Yes, and that's that's where you come in. Is that right. it's it's um, we don't really need uh, to collect that much personal data to 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 analyze uh, behaviors, make mm -hmm. an app more efficient, uh, and make an app a great product. And so. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about the service, uh, maybe some examples uh, of what you've done uh, to really help app developers without going so much in depth with that creepy behavior that uh, a lot of advertisers like? Right. Um, so the first thing that um, users of or listeners to your podcast, prob they probably know about this, but like they're just user identifiers. So if I identify a user and and then f then I can follow them through the internet from one website to the next, from one, one app to the next. Um, so what we figured out is that for our purposes, we don't need any identifiers. We uh, So what we do is like we generate an identifier for you, but we generate that, that from scratch. So that way your data, even if it is anonymized and even if it only says someone is using an iPhone, what's the newest iPhone? The, an iPhone 13. Um, even, even if that is already very like general data, we're completely disconnecting that from uh, any existing data that might be out there about you on the internet. So it can't be connected to that. We use uh, various hashing algorithms for that. Um, and we, with that data, we can still like let people improve their app. For example, one of our biggest apps, the author is, um, he only wants to know like what operating system versions his app is running on because that lets him optimize things. Like for example, the app plays video and in the newest operating system, the video playback controls have been greatly improved. 
and he didn't know can I can I use this or will I alienate um, a lot a majority of my users because they can't use these new video playback controls uh, yet because they haven't updated and with our data he was able to see oh okay over 90% of my users are using the newest version of the operating system so it's easy to update and so he updated his app and then his users were all happy because they had like a better play play and pause button they could easily scrub in videos stuff like that um, and all that like this app has between two and four million users per month mm -hmm. and we know nothing about those two those those four million people except that there's someone who uses this app and they're like 90% of them are running iOS 15. Um, and so that is the things we can do. Or for example, there's um, one of our customers who has a an app to listen to audiobooks. And this app is completely free. He's just making this as a hobby project basically. But Uh, there's a screen in the app that says, hey, if you want to, you can donate a few euros to, to, to myself just for continuing to improve this app. And before he introduced Telemetry Deck to it into his app, um, he didn't know this, but we found out that only 0.01% of people who are using this app ever saw this screen. So... <laughs> More than 99% of the people who were using this app, they didn't even know that they could give him like um, just a tip. And so we, re uh, we recommended that he show the screen every time like someone has finished listening to an audiobook. Just like give people the option. Like uh, that's not very intrusive because I mean, how many audiobooks do you finish per, per week? <laughs> And uh, it's not very intrusive and it's very polite. It's just like, hey, This app is free, but if you want, click this button and give me a euro um, or probably a US dollar. Um, and he now makes a small but re but relevant income from this app just because he has this information now. The people are not the people who are using this app. They are not really inconvenienced, but they have the chance that this app will survive and be relevant in a few years It has just risen considerably. And as with the same example, like this person, both this developer and and us, we don't know anything about the people who are using this app except that now at least 18% of the of them are actually seeing the the tip jar screen. So you're giving a chance, and so the the possibility to really improve uh, the quality and even the revenue of an app can can be very efficient without having uh, to collect that personal data. Yes, But that's like, correct. And oh, let me add one one last go thing. Go ahead. <laughs> um, because we're not collecting any private data, and like we have various algorithms and techniques to make sure that no private data is collected. Because of that, we do not actually fall under the GDPR. So we don't oh. even have to show a consent banner. Like by law, even in apps, most apps don't do this, but by law, you should be required, you are actually required to, to show uh, a banner that says, hey, this is, we are requesting to use this private data from you and sending into this service. Because we're not using any private data, we don't have to do that. We can just, we can, we can just like, collect this aggregate data and users don't have to think about oh 
do I like what button do I click? Is this website or this app trying to trick me? Like, why do they need my private data? Well, they don't. So there's no banner to confirm. And it's one less step that you have mm -hmm. to yeah, enter before actually using the app. But that's extremely interesting uh, and refreshing at the same time. <laughs> um, so, but like to come back on the policy side, um, mm -hmm. you talked about the GDPR, so the General Data Protection Regulation um, that the uh, EU rolled out. Um, so there are more, you mentioned more and more rules around the world in California and so on, trying um, to really addressing the issue of privacy. And there've been a lot of critics uh, of those laws saying they would hinder the development of um of the, the app economy, internet uh, services in general. So do you think that these are an obstacle for app developers when it comes to data analytics? Um, and um, yeah, I just want to have your, your thoughts on that. I think, hmm, do I think they're an obstacle? It's, it's difficult to say. I think that you can make very good apps without ever bumping into privacy laws. Um, <laughs> But from what, I've, from what I've seen in the developer community is that many people, they want to do the right thing. They want to make an app that is conformant to the GDPR or the CCPA in California, for example. And the, they just feel like a low-level stress in the back of their mind thinking, am I doing the right thing? Am I, like, am I adhering to all the principles or should I like, do something else? Uh, luckily, the, luckily that um, luckily, platform providers like Apple and the Google Play Store to some extent, they make it actually pretty easy. Um, if you don't collect any data, you uh, you can just like check a few checkboxes. Um, you can there's a service that helps you create a privacy policy that just asks you asks you questions and then. Um, you just answer yes or no and then it can create a privacy policy for you that will tell your users what is what is what's your app, app doing and is it collecting any personal data and we go right in there and we offer our customers a service that like basically we promise them that with us they won't ever have any problems with privacy laws because we uh we keep those in mind, we look at them, we see, we check that we adhere to all of them, and um, so if if people are using us, they feel like very safe because they don't have to worry that, like for example, some there's like a developer from say South America, and suddenly she has to worry about adhering to some European regulation or some Indian regulation or from Canada or whatever that she maybe does not have any idea about. And so with us, people get a lot of peace of mind because we can tell them we have uh, privacy experts. Well, we have one privacy expert, my co-founder Lisa, who's really, mm -hmm. really deep into privacy laws around the world. And we have various lawyers that are um, also advising us on this front. And with those, we can create our service. We can create any privacy policy documents that you might need in a way that makes makes you as our customers safe from any any problems that you might have with data privacy laws. And you still get all the data that you need um, for, to improve your app, to improve like the, your income from your app, stuff like that. 
Um, that, that's interesting because I think you summed it up well. It's like, um, GDPR is probably something, or the laws are, we need to protect fundamental um, uh, rights, but at the same time, SMEs, uh, small developers, do not necessarily have the resources to follow all those legal requirements. And having platforms such as yours, or even the larger platforms, as you mentioned, um, do facilitate uh, this greatly. So um, I think that it's great to know that those solutions exist uh, for, for those who use it. Uh, but maybe just to wrap up, and that's my last question today, um, mm-hmm. telemetry is a success. Um, so, and um, many developers want to use data analytics uh, that's not intrusive. Um, and well, building, so it's also the, the story about an entrepreneur where you, 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 you've built this company. What has been, I would say, your, your proudest achievement uh, so far? Um, Oh, they have been so whatever. Generally, I'm really, really proud. On the one hand, of the the technical successes that we had, mm-hmm. like for example, we have now successfully processed in real time over eight hundred thousand, no, eight hundred million uh, events. So we are uh, we are oh. close to the to a billion now. Um, we have almost a thousand apps that are actively using us. Um, And that translates to over 7 million active users per month that are using apps that do not collect any data about them, but still get get, get made better. Um, And the other achievement is that we really see how both the developers and the users are happy. They they write us messages and say like, hey, this is really cool because it takes only five minutes to implement and then I get immediate, reasonable and and private but very actionable data about my app that I can use to improve everything. And just like every day, like getting these, these messages on Twitter per, or via email is just like so rewarding and satisfying. It just warms my heart. Um, we've recently started a pilot project with uh, a few of our customers that will that will try to make their analytics even better by trying to automatically recommend them a course of action that they should take with their app to improve their app and i'm really looking forward to releasing that to the general public later this year well thank you i can imagine it's very satisfying well when you have a good product you get oh, yes, good it results is. so uh, it's it's great to hear to hear that um we'll make sure that uh, we post all the information in the show notes of the episode so well thank you danielle it was really interesting insights uh, oh my pleasure this was really nice <laughs> it's great because like today's data driven economy um i mean solutions like uh, telemetry deck are uh, increasingly important to really keep users um trust in app ecosystem and as we know trust is the most important uh, factor and precondition to the growth of like this app economy that we know today oh yeah so yes so i think we can agree on that um and we're really happy that appstation has amazing members who care about privacy and well thank you again and we'll talk soon for future privacy related developments awesome looking forward to it And now it's time for random identifiers. Anna, what's your random identifier today? Um, my random identifier today 
music related, which I know is usually mm-hmm. Brad's thing, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I am very excited for May 20th, which is when Harry Styles is releasing a new album. You can call me basic if you want to, but I love Harry Styles and I think he makes great music. <laughs> um, and it's been three years since his last album. So I'm very, very excited to listen to what he's come up with on this next um, next piece of music that he's releasing. Um, and hopefully, you know, I can snag some concert tickets for the fall because he's going on tour with the new album as well. Nice. Do you know, I, um, <laughs> I, um, I just realized I know his face, but I didn't know his name. I just Googled him. Um, so, okay. So I know very well who you're talking about, yeah. but that's good. So yeah. <laughs> Famous from his One Direction days, if you guys remember. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm a bit uh, late on my, uh, <laughs> on my music stuff, but okay, that's cool. <laughs> Um, all right. And so, Stephen, what do you have for us? Yeah, so mine's also kind of music related. So you might have seen in the news that it was the state opening of parliament in the UK this week. And that's a really, <laughs> it's really grand ceremony that happens every year. Uh, the Queen goes to parliament with lots of lords, ladies, dignitaries and other royals to um, open parliament for the next year and make a speech. And I was lucky enough to attend it one year back in 2006. And I was actually inside the Palace of Westminster when it happened. And I was right by the gates where the dignitaries were arriving. So the Queen arrived in her big golden carriage and there was a brass band there that was playing the national anthem, obviously, because it's the Queen. Then as all the other royals and the other sort of senior military people and everyone else was arriving, they were playing just this lovely music for them. And then the last car to come round the corner um, had the Prime Minister in it, who was, I think, Tony Blair at the time. And Tony Blair was not a popular man at that particular point. <laughs> so the brass band clearly knew this. And when they saw his car come around the corner, they stopped playing the lovely music they were playing pop- previously and then started playing the evil music from Star Wars. So the Prime Minister no came way. into the... Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the Prime Minister came into... <laughs> came into the palace with the sound of dun 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 really yeah it was really it was really funny and uh i'm pretty sure he could hear it inside the car so it was uh yeah it was a good effort by the band oh wow i didn't know that thank you for sharing this <laughs> yeah i'm not sure if they got invited back the next year but it was it was, it was definitely funny but it's true that you guys do know how to, to put on a, a show it's like a yeah lots of, lots of <laughs> colors and crowns yeah <laughs> all right well my own identifier um well i don't know for those who've been following our podcast for a very long time i know that anna uh, already <laughs> told you about her fabulous um crossword app at the new year's <laughs> time you had a subscription and since then i have to say like um, i've been thinking about it, so i did um download the app and now i'm completely hooked because i haven't subscribed yet fully so i'm just mm-hmm. getting i'm just getting a free crossword every day and so that's probably like the biggest highlight of my day when i wake up is that i do the free um crossword along with it's the like, best it's the best <laughs> and, along with eating obviously but yeah so i just wanted to say thank you for the very good tip so uh, and <laughs> And I'm You're learning so lots welcome. of stuff about like American like sports and things like right? that. Yeah, you I learn like you have to learn a certain way of like thinking and how the clues are set up to like get better at it. I feel like exactly. So um, <laughs> so yeah, next next step is uh, the subscription. So 
So yeah, that was my random identify. But um, we've reached the end of Greetings from Brussels, episode 22 of our Global Text Home podcast. And if you're interested in learning more, um, head over to our website at actonline.org slash techswamp, uh, where you'll find our show notes. And we also have transcripts available. You can find them at the top of our show notes as well as on podscribe.com. Just search for TechSwamp. And you can subscribe to TechSwamp on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher to get the latest episodes first. And don't forget to rate and review. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Bye. Bye.